Sometimes what your soul calls you to do, what your soul guides you to do won't make sense to your logic, won't make sense to your mind. And I say that your soul, life doesn't care about your comfort and convenience. Life cares about your growth and evolution. one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Welcome back to another episode of See One Beautiful Soul. This is Barbara Heller. So happy to share with you one of my favorite teachers, Coot Blackson. You can look him up on cootblackson.com. He is a profound speaker. I call him a rapper because when he speaks, he raps. He makes music with his words. He is just a ball of fire energy in the best way. And he's an author. He's a retreat master. I was lucky enough to join one of his workshops slash retreats called The Man Breakthrough Experience. He is coming out with a book this very week called The Magic of Surrender. So go to Amazon right now and pick up your copy. Hold on to your hats. This episode gets very deep. He is a deep diver into serious personal transformation. So take off your gloves Listen up, listen in, take deep breaths, make sure you've got some hydration. We go very deep in this episode, and there's lots of wonderful questions that he asks the audience, so get ready to do some work. I promise you, if you're fully listening in the 5D, you will get so much out of this one. Please join me on Clubhouse in the C1 Beautiful Soul Room. We are meeting on Mondays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Got to do a little shout out to my LA peeps. We talk about the spiritual, the enlightening, the inspiring, and also what's sitting on our hearts. It is a very safe space. We also have some workshops coming up on Facebook Live and on Zoom. Please email me about that at info at barbheller.com. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, please do so. And please leave us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Also, please follow me on Instagram at Barbie Heller. You can pick up a copy of my book and then one day the world coughed. A conversation piece, if you will, about the blessings of COVID. You can pick it up on amazon.com. You can check out all my award-winning short films, documentaries, and music videos at barbheller.com. I'm happy to say five of them are in film festivals right now. Very excited about that. I'm also really excited for you to learn about the magic of surrender. Without further ado, here is the great Coot Blackson. Coot Blackson, the amount of energy that comes from your soul magic that you allow yourself to give off to the world is, I don't have words for it. I was lucky enough to be a part of the Man Breakthrough Experience are you still doing those, by the way? Uh, not in this moment. For our listeners, the Man Breakthrough Experience is not for men. It's for women to understand men. And it really was healing for me. I had just broken off an engagement. I really needed to understand myself and men a lot better. I am just so happy to see you. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Your book, it's about surrender. You came up to me. This is like five, six years ago. You went right up to my face during one of the meditations and you said, your word is surrender. And I took it and I have been surrendering to that word for, and so much good has come out of it. You've had such a huge impact on me. I've wanted to interview you for so long since I met you. And it's so apropos that now that your book is about surrender, like I get to 
hang out with you. So anyway, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'd love to hear your story a little bit about how you grew up for those of you who haven't had the honor and joy and privilege yet to get to know you. I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. Uh, I grew up in London, uh, live in the US now. And so I feel like a, you know, a global citizen when people ask me where I'm from, I never really know. I feel like I'm from everywhere and nowhere all at the same time. But from a very young age, I was a, a deeply sensitive kid. And so I would, you know, I would feel the suffering of human beings very deeply and it would impact me very deeply. And it confused me in a sense because I also saw people who seemed to have every reason to be happy and yet they were miserable. And I saw and I grew up with a lot of folks that didn't have very much and had every reason to not be happy. And they were fulfilled and happy and at peace. I really, from a very young age, started to ask myself the question of who am I and where do I come from and where do we go and what's the purpose of life? Is it just to wake up, go to sleep, have sex, make babies, make money, have a house, have a car, go on vacation and then die? For me, I just felt like there has to be more to the purpose of life than just that idea. One of my first memories that had a real impact on my life was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor in Ghana, West Africa, and she's crawling, hadn't walked in who knows how long, picks up the sand that this man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. So literally week after week, I grew up around miracles, so to speak. You know, the same man who's look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick, stand up, get out of this wheelchair. Or look at a person, eyesight was impaired and put his hands on their eyes and they would see. And, and so this happened week after week, day after day. This man was my father. He built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He built a huge church in London, about four to 5,000 people every Sunday, talking hundreds of thousands of members of his organization. And so I grew up in this spiritual environment, so to speak. My father, by the time I was born, was already very mystical and spiritually inclined. I went to India in the 60s and 70s and had these, let's say, enlightenment experiences. And so I was born into this uh, understanding and this life of service. So when I was age eight, I started speaking in, in front of my father's audiences. When I was age 14, I was actually ordained as a minister in my father's church. I was given the mandate to take over my father's spiritual organization. I was the guy who was going to take it to the next level. It was announced, went through a whole, let's say, coronation, ordination kind of thing at 14. And honestly, I knew so confusing because I wanted to help people and I love my dad, but I knew that that was not my path. I knew that that was not my destiny. I knew that that particular way of expressing was not the reason I was born. At 14, what does a 14 year old kid do? I mean, I love my dad. He was like this iconic figure, but I was too afraid to speak my truth. My fear was if I dared to be myself, if I dared to speak my truth, if I dared to be who I am, if I dared to really tell the truth about what I want with my life that he would reject me, that I would not be loved, that I would lose his love, that I would be abandoned, I would be outcast from the whole organization. And so I kept it in, you know, I hid who I was and it was tremendously painful. I became ordained four years of constant questioning and turmoil and depression and sadness and tears because I knew the truth in my heart. And I think many times, one of the things that keeps us stuck as human beings is deep down, we know the truth. We're constantly lying to ourselves about who we are and what we want and what we feel. We stay in relationships that we know is not aligned and we compromise and we settle and we stay in these things for five, 10, 15, 20 years, a lifetime, and then we die. But we know that we're not in love. It's not right. We, we're living someone else's version of our lives. And you can't really be fulfilled and happy being someone that you're not living someone else's version of your life. And at that age, I was living my father's version for my life. And there was a deep pain inside. One of the keys to start shifting our lives is we have to be willing 
to be really honest with ourselves and look at the lies that we're telling ourselves. Maybe you're working a job that you hate and you know that this job, or maybe you don't hate it. Maybe it's okay. You're making money. You might even be successful. But deep down, you know, we know, uh, you know that this is not the reason and the purpose that your soul incarnated into this human experience. And to feel that is painful because there's nothing for me more painful than knowing that you have been put on this planet to do something, to give something, to create something, and to hold that back or to not be giving it and to go through each day knowing that there's a part of you, the deep part of you, a real part of you, a big part of you that is not truly expressing your gift. And so this is how I felt. You know, I really felt a lot of pain in my heart. And it took me till I was 18. I had to make a decision. Do I, what, what am I going to do with my life now? You know, I'm going to be an adult. Do I go to university? Everyone expected me to go to university. I mean, pressure, expectations. I said, screw this. Life has more to teach me. If I want to help people with their life, I have to live life, not just read books. And so I decided to not go to university against the hopes and the dreams of everyone. I looked into my future and I saw I could take the expected path and I could be successful by everyone else's standards. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my truth, then what the hell do I have? And I felt such pain in my heart when I thought of living this idea of a life that wasn't mine. My soul was calling me to come to the US, go to America, because I wanted to, at this point, go into the self-help field. I'd been reading everyone from Jack Canfield, Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, you know, Jim Rohn, to Marianne Williamson, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay. I mean, all these cats when I was like eight, nine, 10 years old, <clears throat> I wanted to come. And they all lived in Southern California. I thought, wow, I want to come to this Mecca of LA and find these people and learn from these people and, and go into this field. That was my vision. And so I felt this calling to go in this direction. The challenge is I had no college degree, no money, no nothing, knew no one in the US, yet something in my soul was calling me, something in my heart was pulling me in this direction. It didn't make sense. Sometimes what your soul calls you to do, what your soul guides you to do won't make sense to your logic, won't make sense to your mind. And I say that your soul, life doesn't care about your comfort and convenience. Life cares about your growth and evolution, the fulfillment of your destiny. Felt this calling and it was the unknown path. And I think to truly live a fulfilling life, to truly surrender, we have to be willing to embrace the unknown. The degree to which we can embrace the unknown is the degree to which we will be free. And so I had no idea what the path ahead led. I just knew that I was guided to move in this direction. Cut a long story short, I had the conversation with my father. I'm not taking over your churches. Didn't go over too well. Uh, but I knew what I had to do. And I knew that life was not worth living if it was not going to be my life. And so I had this conversation with my father. He didn't say very much, which was surprising. We didn't speak for two years, which was very, very heartbreaking and challenging. And I'll be honest, I was terrified. I was afraid. All of that. The only way to take action is if you get rid of fear. I was terrified. And so often we let fear stop us from going to the next level. We let fear stop us from speaking our truth. We let fear stop us from taking that leap. We let fear stop us from leaving our jobs. We let fear stop us from asking the girl out and making a commitment and relationship. You know, we let fear stop us and fear kind of hijacks us. And I think if we're truly growing and expanding in life, it's not in the absence of fear. If we're truly growing and expanding and evolving, you will feel fear. The fact that you feel fear is a sign to a degree that you might be on the right path because you're going perhaps where you haven't been before, becoming who you haven't been before. And so there's an expansion outside of your comfort zone. I mean, 
going to brush your teeth there's no fear there you know going to open the fridge and have a cookie you don't feel any fear there that's not outside of our comfort zone if you live a life where you feel no fear and i'm not, not talking about the kind of survival fear where there's a a crazy dog chasing you or you know a tiger from chasing you down the street i'm talking about like if you feel no nervousness or fear in life it might be because the dreams that you have are actually too small or you've just decided to settle for a comfortable situation fear is the sign that you are expanding we have to learn how to breathe into that fear to relax into that fear to expand into that fear and to to, to still move through that anyway, because it's, it's through moving through the fear, which is a form of resistance, that we develop soul force, that we develop our soul muscle, our deep capacity. And I think that's part of the, the evolution of growth. When you follow the path of your purpose, when you follow the path of your dream and destiny, that's when the, the challenges begin. You know, that's when the challenges really start. A lot of people think, oh, that's a sign that I'm on the wrong path. That can actually be a sign that you're on the right path. I think in those moments, you have to face the challenges. Those challenges are actually gifts that your soul gets to experience and go through to grow, to expand, to develop, to evolve, so that you can become more of the person who is prepared and capable of fulfilling your destiny. Look at Mandela. Here Mandela is following his, his purpose and his destiny gets put in prison for 27 years. We're not talking about quarantine for a year. We're not talking about a month in jail. We're talking about 27 years in prison. Like Joseph in the, in the Torah or the Bible. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. But, I, but I can imagine that at some point he had to surrender. At some point, it perhaps took 27 years for him to meditate, envision, pray, beepen, you know, question, forgive. The level of depth of forgiveness and compassion and empathy and humility that you have to, you got 27 years to just go deep into that. That was the necessary preparation for him to become the Nelson Mandela that we all love and respect, that is still alive, even though his body is not here, that is still having ripples and impacts on the planet. 27 years for him to ripen into that being and level of consciousness so that when he came out, he was ripe enough to be able to have the clear vision and the clear thinking to be able to move a continent, move a generation, move his community, move the world. I think we have to learn to embrace the challenges and learn from the challenge. I ended up winning a green card in the lottery. That's kind of what happened. And I believe that whenever you're on the right path, whenever you're truly following your authentic calling, your authentic soul's directive, when we really follow that, even though it might be challenging, that's when I believe we bring ourselves into the flow, into the divine flow, into the cosmic flow, into the universal flow, in sync with the innate intelligence. When we really do that, that's when I feel the entire universe, the laws of nature, begin to at least rise to support us and the fulfillment of itself, really, itself through us. And won a green card in the lottery and came to the US, two suitcases, $1,000, knew no one, landed in LA, went to Venice Beach, began my journey as a kid, clueless, the hardest years of my life in the beginning, crying, lonely, sleeping on, on the in, floor. Uh, sorry, 18, you were 18. 18 yeah, oh. 18, 19. I mean, I was rented a, a small, tiny little, probably 250 square foot, uh, one room apartment. You were Tony Robbins. Yeah, the 400 square foot little apartment. I think mine was like 250. And I dragged a 
a, a mattress that someone had thrown out into the trash. When you're 18, you're not thinking. Someone had thrown it into the trash. I dragged it. It wasn't in the trash, but it was next to the trash. I took the mattress off. I thought, wow, this is amazing. And I, and I literally had a trashed mattress in my room, sleeping on the chest mattress, stealing bread from the supermarket. That's how I survived. And it was challenging and it was hard, but I knew I had a peace and fulfillment in my heart because I knew that I was on the right path. I felt that I was following my calling and that was the peace. I, I felt like if I died in that moment, at least I would die or succeed or I would fail on my terms. That was the peace in my heart. That was the real beauty for me. And so, you know, I would just ask everyone to just marinate on what lies am I telling myself? Because I think that's where we really have to begin. What lies am I telling myself? Whether it's in a relationship, whether it's at work, whether it's with oneself, whether it's in the area of your health or finances, what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? Because one of the ways we keep ourselves stuck is we, we play this game of confusion. You know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know if this we stay there because I don't we know. And we, and, and we stay stuck. Really look at what are the lies I'm telling myself? What is it costing me? When we betray ourselves, when we lie to ourselves, when we disconnect from our truth, there is a cost. It's painful if we really feel it. But often we feel it, but because we're afraid of if I really feel it, then I might have to do something about it. So what we tend to do is we distract ourselves. We sex it away. We eat it away. We social media it away. We, we work it away. We shop it away. We, you know, whatever it is, drug it away, whatever it is. So we don't have to really feel the impact and the pain of living out of alignment. I always say that pain is a blessing. Pain is a teacher. We think pain is bad, so we try to disconnect from it. But pain is actually a feedback mechanism that I believe is showing us where we are not truly in alignment. So if someone's wondering, well, if I'm lying to myself and I don't know that I'm lying to myself, how do I know I'm lying to myself? Probably you're going to feel some pain in some area of your life. That's number one. And that's a sign that there's some part of that, that that's out of alignment or that pain, if it's so suppressed or numb, will sometimes manifest as physical dis-ease or illness. Or that pain will sometimes manifest, this is another way, that pain will sometimes manifest in the form of the people you attract in your life that will reflect that pain back to you. For sure. And, and these are some ways that you know that maybe you're, or it will manifest because aspects of your life start falling apart or crazy drama starts happening. Because if you're not integrating that pain and owning and shifting it, then it, man it manifests in some aspects of your life. And so... I think the truth is the first place that everyone can begin to set them free. That's where I had to start. And that's what brought me to the US, came to the US and, you know, when I found mentors and teachers and many of the folks I had read about when I was a kid and studied with them. And then, you know, I traveled the world in my early 20s. I went to Israel, studied with rabbis. Yeah, I've been to Jerusalem like uh, seven, eight times, baptized in the River Jordan. When I was a kid, I mean, you name it, I've been there. You know, amazing times in Jerusalem and Israel, the Dead Sea, but specifically Jerusalem. For me, there's such a power in Jerusalem, an energy, a frequency, a vortex there that is pulsating with, with, with profound purification energy that is very, 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 very intense and very deep. And, but I went on a quest at Bali, India, like 30 times, basically on a quest to try and find answers. And really from my own journey, from a very young age, I began to then share that one-on-one -on -one and one-on-five and one-on-twenty. And, you know, you've been to my seminar, so it just started expanding and growing and evolving. And that's what brought me here. 
I have to respond to a few things. Number one, sure. I can totally relate as some of my bohemian artist creator friends who are listening. I slept on a box spring in New York City for three months, for years, like I had pain because of that one three month period. So I totally get that. I didn't know that you made me cry when you started talking about that. And that idea that our time is our really our only asset. It's not our money. It's our choices and our time. And Rabbi Aaron actually taught me that. And I've never forgotten it. It's it's like, you can't get that two hours back. I love that you embrace that at such a young age. And what's fascinating about your story is that you were a teen when you got this, this serum of truth right to the heart. And I, I, I'm sure you beat yourself up for years, as you said, um, you know, for not carrying in that path right away as soon as you got the truth bomb. But you were such a young kid. And it's like, I, I think you could definitely speak to the idea that people live with such regret because they know, and we know inherently our soul is constantly telling our brain and our body with disease, you know, you're uncomfortable, get out of this situation, whether it's a relationship, a job, a, a parent situation, whatever it is, uh, drugs, and, and they sit around and then they take it mm -hmm. with them, right? For years, like one of the reasons I, I have such a hard time with AA, I mean, I thank God I've never done a drug. I just mean my friends who have been, is that for years they call themselves I'm an alcoholic. It's like, no, you're not. You're, I'm not, I'm not knocking anyone who's in a 12 step. I'm just saying there's this idea that whatever you tell yourself is who you are right now. I'm, I'm upset. I'm scared. I'm lost. I'm a failure. We stay in that. And we get so, you know, Dr. Joe says we like swim in it. It's like, Oh, I like feeling sad, you know, and the hormones that come through. So maybe you could speak to that idea because uh, I want to get into forgiveness. And it sounds like you probably did the thing that most teenagers do. I mean, maybe not you because you're on such a high spiritual level, but a lot of kids mm -hmm. and, and young 20 somethings and even 30s and 60s will say, I blame my parents for putting me in this situation. It was your choice. At a certain point, it becomes your choices. You had to forgive yourself for even that short amount of time, relatively speaking, that you weren't living that truth. So how do you speak to a people who are tolerating that horrible situation and living that lie. And two, how do you speak to all the people that did mm. it, finally got out of it and are like, oh, I'm such a schmuck because I did that for so long. Like, what would you say to that? Okay. If you're stuck in something, tolerating, 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 stuck and stuck and wasting time, wasting time, wasting time, what have you, life is passing you by, etc. What I, first thing I would say uh, is, you are going to die. <laughs> you are going to die. In fact, right now, you're dying. Another day. Not Another a day. You don't have to worry about COVID. You don't have to worry about cancer. You don't have to worry about, you know, diabetes. The fact is, each day that ticks away, you're going to die. And each day that you waste start in a relationship that is not right, that you know is not right. I'm not saying that it, that is challenging, but it's right. I'm saying stuck in a relationship that you know is not right. Stuck in a job that you hate, that you're compromising. Stuck in a situation that you're settling. Stuck in some bullshit that you know is not aligned. Is time that you are killing the moment. You are killing life. You are going to die. You, me, Jesus died, Bruce Lee died, Mother Teresa died, you know, Ramana Maharishi died, the great rabbis died, Buddha died, Muhammad Ali died, Mandela died, you know, Martin Luther King died, Mother Teresa, 
if they died, you're going to die, I'm going to die, we're going to die. It's the nature of it. Yet somehow we live like we have forever. We live like we've got tomorrow. Like, oh, we've got tomorrow. Don't be dramatic. No, no, I'm going to tell you that everyone who died in 9-11 didn't come back that night, had no idea that they weren't going to come home that night and look their loved ones in the eyes and say, I'm really sorry for what I did. I would say 99.9999, if not 100% of them went out that day and figured I can call my mother next month when she comes to her senses. And so we hold these grudges of these things in ourselves because we think we've got time. Oh, I'm going to start that business when I'm going to do that thing when I'm going to just love, I'm going to love more when, when I have time, when I get retired, when I'm more healed, when this has happened, when that has happened. Tomorrow is not a right. It is a privilege. The only moment that is guaranteed, truly guaranteed is right now. That's all we have. One of the keys that I invite people to do is to make friends with your death because it's not an if. And I hope that all of us live a long life, but we don't know. If death came this moment, would you be at peace? What's unsaid? What's unforgiven? What's unexpressed? What's uncommunicated? What's not said? I mean, it sounds simple. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna die. We, we don't know. But it's only when it happens, when the doctor says, you got six months to live. When our loved one really dies, our, our spouse, our child, our, our parents, then all of a sudden we're bent out of shape. Like it's some surprise that we've been told this is gonna happen. One of the reasons I wrote my new book, The Magic of Surrender was triggered because my mother was diagnosed with stomach cancer. It was a complete surprise. I thought that my father was going to go first. I, I was sure my father was going to go first because he's just 10 years older. So it's the logical thing, like, okay. I get a phone call after my book is a bestseller. I'm traveling the world, end of 2016. Boom, here I am, get the phone call, your mother's gonna die. I started traveling back and forth, back and forth, back and forth from LA to London every month in the middle of doing everything to be with her for four or five days during chemo, to sit with her, to take care of her, to get her better, to get her well, and soon realized that she was not going to make it. I would sit with her in chemo and hold her hand. And we would just talk honestly about like nothing, just about silly stuff, you know, nothing important. I'd sit with her and we'd sit in the park, just hang out doing nothing. I'd sit with her and sit on the couch at home, watching her nap, nothing spectacular. And in a strange way, it was the best year of my life. In a strange way, a few months into this process, when I realized that my mother was dying for sure, and I was going to lose her, there was no way back the person I loved the most. I actually thanked the cancer because I realized, wow, cancer has given me the best thing. It's given me these moments with my mother. I've done a lot of incredible things in my life, traveled, achieved, created. There's only one regret I have, and that is not spending enough time with my mother. I call it a sacred regret. You know, it's not something I beat myself up about, but it's a sacred regret because you realize, why did I wait till she was dying to spend this time? All the things I thought were important, all the things I was running around doing, it didn't take that much more just to sit with her for three, four days and just be together. We're a culture that is afraid of death. Oh my God, oh my God, new virus. Oh, we're, we're afraid, we're so afraid of death because we've forgotten who we are. That we are a spark of the divine. That what we are is consciousness, divine, infinity, whatever you want to call it, light, infinite expression. That what we are is not just this mind-body mechanism. I asked my mother when a doctor said to her, you have days or months to live. We don't know how long, could be any moment now. We can do nothing for you again, get your affairs in order. And I asked my mother, are you afraid? And she looked at me on the couch and she said, I'm not afraid. And she meant it. And I said, why? She said, because I know that I'm not just this body.
I know that my soul is eternal, that this body will fall away, but this body is just a vehicle for my soul. And even when I'm on the other side, I'll be with you. And she was not afraid by the media, by society. We've been so conditioned to believe that we are just this body. We are just this ego structure. We are just this physical form. I mean, YOLO, right? The you only live one. You only live but one? but we're, we're conditioned by the media, by society, by advertising to believe that you're just this body, you're just this body, you're just this body, you're just this body, just this body, because then that conditioning creates fear, it creates attachment, creates identification to the ego, and then we can be sold a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, to just this body, body to, to feed that body, to make that body look good, to make that body look more desirable, to make that look more acceptable. You need this supplement, you need this thing, you need this car, you need this underwear, you need these shoes, you need this thing. You're not an, and so we're conditioned and we're hypnotized. And so as a culture, as a humanity, we're so afraid of dying, so we avoid it. We don't talk about it. We're like, oh, hush, 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 hush. Rather than I'm inviting us to say, let's face death every day. Feel your death, embrace your death, breathe it in, meditate on your death. Like, yes, today could be my last day. Yes, it's a little hard, but what's harder is living a mediocre, stale, cemetery, dead life. Feel death, hold it close, and let that reality inspire you into a more fierce urgency of, wait a second, I don't have time to waste for tomorrow to like call my mother up who I haven't spoken to in five years and, and, and forgive her. I don't have five years to get over this because if she died today, I would regret it. So I'd ask everyone to sit with if death came today, what regrets would you have? I actually wrote this book during COVID and then one day the world coughed. And um, there's a, a section that's all about being with uh, our family members and sitting with older people. Like why are there even elder care facilities that didn't exist yeah. before? Yeah. There's an idea in Judaism that when we go to visit someone who's sick, even if they're just elder, they're not, they don't have a, sickness, but they're not, you know, they're older, right? We take away one sixtieth with every visit of their pain of their, that's why you were so intuitive to go sit with her. It wasn't enough to just, well, I zoomed with her every day for three hours or whatever it is you, to be in the room, to share space. And it, it doesn't shock me that all these people died right away from COVID because their brain knew on some level, even if they had Alzheimer's, that person is not coming and we don't know how long, just the fear of I'll never see them again, that could cause someone to die. My father and I had such a hard past growing up and I made it my business when I went to Israel to study all the laws of honoring mother and father and, and elders in general, teachers, grandparents, cousins that are older, someone on the street is older. It really opened up my mind and heart. And ever since then, I've made a commitment to have a very good relationship with him. Nothing more important and we think there is, but in the face of death, when we're dying, okay, if you die and you met your maker, whatever you believe, you can't go to God and say, hey, God, I wasted, I wasted seven years in that relationship. Can, can I get a refund? There's no, ref there's no <laughs> refunds in this thing called life. No refunds. Invite everyone to really meditate on death, feel death as a reminder, you know, because we waste time on so much petty stuff and stay stuck doing things and we procrastinate. But if we really feel death, I think that can be a, a, a wake up call to fully living this moment, loving in this moment with everything you've got. It may not have another moment and that's reality. Now, in terms of staying stuck in a cycle of being a victim, when you really understand the nature of life, the purpose of life, that we are souls, we incarnate into this human experience, into our family system, into our parental system, into that genealogy.
The sun lessons that our souls are here and seeking to experience and learn and evolve through. And from that spiritual soul dimension and perspective, if you really get that we're not just this body, we're souls incarnate to learn lessons and that every single experience is an evolutionary classroom for our souls so that we can grow, learn and evolve. Your parents, your teacher, your grandparents, your teacher, your fathers, your teacher, your brothers, your teacher, everyone is basically your professor and you're in the classroom together. And life is really a university. And ultimately, the only thing going on in this human experience is growth and evolution. That's it. It's not just vacations and holiday. I mean, that's all great. But the bottom line underneath it all, there is what's happening on the physical level where we tend to get caught up. He did this. She did that. They did this. They didn't do that. Da, 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 da. But on a deeper level, what's really happening is like life is a classroom for the evolution of our consciousness and our souls so that we can learn the lesson to become more of who we really are. That's the bottom line. If we understand that, then we begin to realize that we are not victims. There are no victims on a deep level. Yes, things have happened. Person needs to go to prison. We need to handle that. We need to change some laws. We need to change the system. That's not okay. That person needs to go to prison. Sure, on that level, absolutely. On a deep, But if we just stay stuck at the level of the ego, the mind, the personality, and the story, it will sometimes be very difficult to give up our victimhood because we will be stuck in a pattern of being right. We'll be, and we might be right. You know, we might be right that the person did something that wasn't okay. We might be right that our parents did some things that weren't cool, that we would have wished for more, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not saying we're not right. I'm not saying we're not justified. But if we hold on to the identity of being a victim, like things happen to me, it happened to me, then we will never truly free ourselves, empower ourselves and be free. We'll be right, but we won't be free. We'll be right, but we may not be happy. We're going to be disempowered. So at, at a certain point to really shift our life, we have to realize that we're souls incarnate. On some level, we're not victims on a spiritual level. Our soul chose that experience, that classroom, not that it's right and not that there's not consequences for those people involved that may have done some stuff or not done some stuff. But on a spiritual level, our soul chose that experience. How do we know? Because we're in the experience. We had the experience. So because there was something we were seeking to learn. So if we stay stuck on the level of the story, we will remain a victim. But if we drop down to the level of the soul, and shift our focus from what happened and what didn't happen to the deeper level of learning the soul, spiritual, evolutionary lesson in the situation. We move out of victimhood to the lesson. And when we learn the lesson and we realize my soul chose this, it happened for a reason, it happened for my evolution. And if I did choose it, then what is the lesson that I need to learn from it? When we learn that lesson from it, we can begin to shift our experience, move out of victimhood and truly forgive. I don't think a person who says I'm a victim is right. I, I know that you're saying, you know, you'll be right, but you won't be happy. They're, they think they're right. I'm not saying they're right. My parents screwed me up. I had someone I knew. They felt so screwed up by their parents. Their parents weren't there. They didn't give them this, didn't do that. Screamed that, 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 that. Kept screwing her life up. Sabotaging relationship, wasn't successful, financially up and down. Her life was kind of messed up in her words. But on some level, what she had to acknowledge at a certain point was unconsciously, she was creating a life as a screw up or a failure or what have you to prove and justify how much her parents screwed her up so that she could be right because she couldn't afford to give up her victim position because if she did, 
then maybe that might condone her parents and make it okay. And then she wouldn't be right anymore. So the fact that she could say, look at my life, look how messed up it is, is because of what you did. Versus now if she was really successful and started thriving, it's a little harder to point the finger at her parents now. And her theory is blown. So sometimes we, we get identified and attached to being a victim because we want to be right, because we want to reinforce our position. We want to reinforce our identity. The ego wants to reinforce itself. We have to be willing to take full responsibility and look at what's the payoff that I'm getting from holding on to being a victim. And usually there's some payoff because by a payoff, maybe we don't have to be fully responsible. We can always blame it to someone else. I'm not successful. I'm not making money. A relationship sucked because of you, because of what you did to me. Because, and I'm not saying it, certain things didn't have an impact, but we have to be willing to be responsible for saying, okay, that did have an impact when I was five. It did impact me and my relationship with men or women. Yes, it had an impact. But now as an adult, now that I'm an adult, I have to be willing to take responsibility, to take my power back and realize nothing has power over me in this moment unless I choose to. And we have to be willing to process the pain. Yes, the pain, the hurt, the wounding, the trauma. And if we're willing to process that, then we're able to shift and move on on all levels out of victimhood. So on that level, we always have the ability to shift and transform and heal no matter what happened to us. And so one of the keys to really shifting one's life is the willingness to take complete responsibility for ourselves in this moment today. That's why I tell people as adults, as adults, your parents owe you nothing. Yes. Today, they owe you. No I mean, I'm not saying it wouldn't have been nice that they didn't give you this and they didn't hold you. They didn't show up for more basketball games and football games. But today, your parents owe you nothing right now. They are also souls on their own evolutionary journey. And they're also, whether they're aware of it or not, learning their own lessons the best that they can, doing the best that they can do with the best that they've got in that moment. When we realize that they're imperfect humans with their own journey, then you start letting go and releasing and freeing. And surrendering. The magic of surrender is your new book. I can't wait for it to come out on May the 4th. Little plug there. One last question for you. You spoke so beautifully at the man breakthrough and every time you speak is beautiful check him out on instagram live you guys he's amazing you're like the lynn manuel miranda of self-help you just -da 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 -da. you like you wrap self-help in this cool way there's this one section of the man breakthrough i know it's in you are the one as well um which is another great book by you but you talk about how men really need a spiritual practice i was sitting there like floored because being Jewish and, and also going all around the world and studying spirituality, I saw spiritual men, but generally they were quote unquote religious men that like took time out of their work life. It's either one or the other, or very rarely would they kind of matriculate into the working world. And I just thought, why are we learning this? I mean, it was important for me to learn it as a woman, but I wanted so badly for you to get out there to the men. And I know you have. Can you speak to that for a moment? Because that, that whole thing we learned about when a man reaches midlife, whether it's 35 to 60, or, you know, there's like different epochs of his life that you're discussing. How important is that today? I mean, for women as well, we need a spiritual, but when you're talking about dealing with these overwhelming feelings of, I have to give up that pain. I have to give up these bad habits. I have to, I have to take responsibility for my life. We all need a spiritual outlet. It will not work. You, I, I don't, I've never met a person in my life who doesn't have some sort of spiritual, whatever you want to call it, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, some sort of yoga, some sort of connection, 
you know, Gabby Bernstein cards where they're able to release that somewhere because you can try really hard to say mind over matter. You have to have something. So can you speak to, I, I don't know, I'm feeling the calling to talk about men and their spirituality. Cause I think for women, maybe it's a little more socially acceptable. Well, yeah. I, I think, yeah. What you're referring to was maybe me talking about how sometimes men feel a resistance to being, and again, generalization, right? Men Total generalization. A, 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 a resistance to sometimes being cliche also being in relationship not ready to come in and women want to come in guys not ready to come in why i keep attracting guy doesn't want to come in and we get close and then he runs away we get close he runs away you know not all men are like that but generalization right you know I, you hear this more often than not from a lot of women women more relational they're ready and men tend to blah and run off right and so what is it inside of men that have a certain dynamic or maybe a fear of commitment or say well uh, i want to explore different women I, i'm not sure if i'm ready to be with one woman so many women have told me like they met the guy and the guy's like i'm not ready to settle down and be with one woman relationship for men often means death and women don't understand like for women relationship is everything you know for the feminine you know it's relationship is life it's her, it's her essence it's her being for men relationship is death i'm like what it's kind of like, <laughs> it's so romantic relationship is death is death and it's scary which is why often when a man goes deep into relationship, deep into the woman's heart, deep into this vortex of love. He goes, he goes, he goes, he goes, he goes, he goes, oh, he realizes he gets right to that point. I'm going to die. If I go into the, 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 the sort of, you know, the, the infinite ocean of this woman, I'm going to die. And so often what happens is he, he snaps back and runs off because he saw his death in your eyes. He saw his death in your heart. And on one level, that's a compliment because that just shows the depth of who you are, which is why sometimes it's easier for men to be with women that aren't as deep or, or he doesn't have such a deep connection to because there's a level of safety there. Like he doesn't have to die in the, in, in the process or the fire of love, okay? And so the reason why it's important for a man to have a spiritual practice the degree to which a man believes himself to be himself, this mind, body, ego mechanism. I am this body. I am this mind. I am my bank account. I am my job. I am my title. The belief structure, this identity of name, form, memories, the degree, degree to which he believes himself to be himself, this identity, which really is an illusion, you know, it's not really like real, it's a perception of real that creates separation. But the degree to which he believes himself to be this self thing is the degree to which he will often be afraid of death. Because in the, in the alchemy of love, he will often have to be die and be transformed and who he thinks he is his beliefs his ideas his identity he it, in a great relationship he won't be able to be the same in a great relationship the fire of love and the feminine will burn him up and turn him inside out in a beautiful way and remake him into the fullest version and form of himself as a man as a masculine being deeply connected and open it is a transfiguration and resurrection that will, will happen for the masculine and for the woman in a different way you know so if he's really identified believing he is this then when he realizes, oh shit, i'm gonna die and i'm gonna have to like let go and be reborn in love that will be very scary because he really believes he's gonna 
he is going to die. And so the reason a spiritual practice is so important, when I say spiritual practice, I'm not just talking about reading some cards or reading a book. Spiritual practice is where man, through his meditation or practice, is transcending himself and he is accessing the deeper dimensions of his being or he's accessing the dimension of himself that is beyond birth and death. He's accessing the true dimension of himself that is transcending this physical body. Then he realizes he's not just this physical body, this name, form, ego structure that he's identified with. What he realizes is, I'm not this. I'm everything. I'm that. What he realizes is, I am freedom itself. When he is meditating or has a spiritual practice, that trend, true practice that takes him beyond himself so that he can access his own inner freedom within himself, he's no longer, then he's accessing his freedom. He is free. He realizes, I am freedom. I am freedom. So I don't have to like seek freedom in the form of having sex with a bunch of women because what happens, he has sex with a bunch of women or you know, in a moment has an orgasm. When he has an orgasm, boom, he's free. He experiences a moment of like, I'm free of myself for a moment. So when he's accessing through spiritual practice his own inner freedom, he doesn't necessarily need these fleeting moments of freedom out here, out here, out here, where he's dissolving himself in, let's say, orgasmic sexual activity, because if he's already free, the need to seek freedom starts dissolving. And he has a deeper understanding that I'm not this body, I'm not this form, I'm not this ego, so that even in deep commitment, which previously may have been scary for him, even in depth of commitment, I am already free. And the form and structure of relationship is not what determines my freedom. My freedom is a state of being, not a function of the form. And when he realizes that I am freedom, and it's not commitment or relationship with the right woman, of course, that can limit my freedom, because I am free, then the fear of commitment starts to dissolve away. The fear of dying starts to dissolve because he knows that what will die in relationship ain't him. What will die in relationship is not him because through his spiritual practice and meditation, he is dying daily anyway. He's already dead. And that's why spiritual practice is so important because if he doesn't have the spiritual practice, the fear of death will often be active, which will limit or, or create a resistance to his ability to surrender. And he might also seek freedom uh, out in the world, the form of orgasm and the form of stuff and things and you know, what have you, that will be fleeting and unfulfilled. Tell us how we can get a hold of you. How do we go to your awesome retreats? Are they still happening? How do we get to Bali with uh, your book? Book, book, book. Yeah, my new book, The Magic of Surrender, is Finding the Courage to Let Go. Powerful book. You know, we've often been taught that surrender is weak or it's passive, but I'm really reframing the idea of that surrender is the password to freedom and surrender is really the key to all the great ones that we love and respect who came and shifted history. And I think when we surrender, we open to more and we allow life to live us. And that's the invitation to the book, The Magic of Surrender. So I believe that letting go leads to more. And if you want more magic in your life, then you got to surrender. People can go to Amazon. They can go also to www.themagicofsurrender.com. That's www.themagicofsurrender.com. Go there. You can watch the video. Once you buy the book, just enter your name, receipt, an email into the website, and you're going to receive a whole bunch of free gifts that's available, book, a free seminar that I'm doing on May the 8th that's profound, uh, videos, etc., to help support you integrate that into your life. 
my website is kootblackson.com. People want to find out more about my Bali retreat. We're doing it in December, 12 days, deep dive, transformation, life changing. They can go to www.boundlessblissbali.com. Super, super, super powerful. Yeah, Instagram, Facebook, uh, all of that good stuff. You can find me. Well, Coot, you are a wonder and I'm so grateful that our paths collided. I have to thank my friend Chantal Ifra, who's listening to this. She's a dear friend of mine. She went to your very first, I think, uh, wow, yeah. seminar in, in LA or one of them. Um, and she said, you got to come with me. But I, I so appreciated uh, you. You run these parts of the retreat. You're sitting in front of a partner and we do these very, very intense deep dive meditations guided. And you get to really let the people in your life have it like you couldn't or wouldn't in person. And your eyes are closed for hours at a time. I remember just the tears that were just streaming down my body, like like in my bra. I mean, just, I cried like I never cried. And my partner had been through such a challenging childhood and incredible. And we each role play as that person. And I have to say it's, it's probably one of the things that brought me to this podcast to see everyone as one soul, one entity. We are all connected. And it helps you realize like, oh, I'm not alone. Like we're all growing through something. So thank you for promoting that. Thank you for being such a beacon of peace and light and hope and harmony for so many people. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And now here are some nuggets of gold from the great Coot Blackson. Coot gave us a great grow work assignment. That's grow me work, G-R-O-W-M-E work assignment to ask ourselves What are the lies that I'm telling to myself? And what are those lies costing me? We're afraid of really feeling things in our life sometimes. So we distract ourselves and we don't have to really feel the impact of the lie we may tell ourselves. We may be living out of alignment. Pain can sometimes be a humongous blessing. Why? Because it's a teaching. We think it's bad, so we disconnect from it. But it's showing us where we are not truly in alignment. So don't Run from the pain when it comes up. Allow yourself just a moment to sit with it and maybe write it down. What am I feeling? What's painful right now? Is this pain coming out of a lie that I'm telling myself? Am I not focused on something that needs my attention? It does cause me some discomfort, but what is it? What is the big deal? Let's talk about it. And it will get in whether you like it or not. And it will manifest via the relationships that you bring into your life, different people that you attract in work, Or, God forbid, it can sometimes show up as dis-ease in the body. There's nothing more soul-sucking and depressing than living someone else's vision of your own life. If you're doing that right now, please stop. Be honest with yourself. At every turn, sometimes your soul asks you to do things that don't make sense. Now, if you need a coach or a therapist, it's totally okay to ask for help and say, I want to voice and air out some of this stuff. I myself talk about these types of things in my rooms on Clubhouse. There are so many great workshops out there. Ask the universe, where should I go next? And I promise you will find support to make the necessary changes in your life that you need to. Life doesn't care about your comfort. Life cares about your growth and evolution. We are all going to die. It's not a dress rehearsal. That should be the biggest motivator. It's actually a really positive thing to make peace with, says Coot. Feel death and let it inspire your urgency. And sit with this question. If death came today, God forbid, what regrets would you have? When you meet your maker, whatever you believe in, you can't get a refund on any wasted time. 
So stop putting off whatever it is that you keep saying, I'll do someday. Do it now. Our souls are here to learn things, period. It's not all about vacation. We are told this lie living in the U.S. or certain capitalistic countries that we should be living for vacation. No, every day is important. It's another day to make a difference, change the world, change your own life. If we stay in a victim mindset and we want to be right all the time, quote unquote, we can lose our power and never truly be free. We'll be right, potentially, but we won't be happy and we won't own our true power. And what is being right anyway? And how long can it last to stay right or correct? When we realize that my soul chose this life, this family, this parent, this situation, and it happened for my evolution, that's when we can truly shift our experience out of victimhood and truly forgive. Sometimes we get attached to being a victim because it hurts and we get so used to that hurt, it's almost like a blanket. We reinforce the ego so we can be quote unquote correct or right. But we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the payoff to being a victim here? What is your payoff if you ever blame someone else for where you are at in your life? It's a really powerful question. I would urge you to, if you're driving, pull over, write that question down, even if it's on a little, the back of a receipt or a post-it, and just take a moment to write it down. If you're feeling that little calling, no, I'm not really doing that, but you know deep down there's some place in your life where you're a victim or you're quote unquote right about something, take a moment to write it out. Take a breath and say, where am I being quote unquote right and blaming someone else? And what's the payoff for that? What do I get out of being correct in this situation? And how long does that correctness last? We have to be responsible for where we are right now as an adult. We have to take our power back. Nothing has power over me in this moment unless I give it power. We always have the ability to shift and transform and heal no matter what happened to us. No matter what happened to us. I sat in Coots workshops. I saw people who had been through way worse than me, way worse than anyone else I had ever met. And they had the courage to stand up and break through. If they can do it and I watch them go through this process, you can do it too. We have to take full responsibility in this life. And your parents owe you nothing. Your soul chose them. And if that's true, then whatever they quote unquote did to you was for you. Men have a problem committing sometimes because they sometimes see their death in their partner's eyes. Their identity, they are so attached to that and keeping that identity up because it makes them feel safe and powerful is only an illusion and it creates separation. He may be afraid of death, losing his own identity because the alchemy in a loving relationship makes it so he will be transformed. In a great relationship, he will never be the same. The fire of love will turn him out in a new way and spit him out in a transformation that is so powerful, it changes him and the person that he's in a relationship with in a very special and powerful way. The old identity will die and that's what he's feeling and it's not logical. It is on a soul level. So for a man, spiritual practice is extremely important. For a woman too, of course. But sometimes for a feminine soul, we feel 
a natural proclivity towards a spiritual practice. And sometimes, and this is a total generalization, men, especially raised in America as an alpha male, may not even have it within arm's reach because they have been raised to think, no, no, don't do that. You'll lose your identity. And it's also on a soul level. If a man can break through that fear, he will transcend himself and access the deeper dimensions of his own being beyond birth and death. Transcending his physical body, he realizes that he was never that old identity. He is everything. He is freedom itself. He is one beautiful soul. He is part of the one beautiful soul. He can access his own inner freedom that he has always had within himself. Surrender has always been called weak, but it's actually the passport to living an amazingly great life. When we surrender, we allow life to live us. We let fear sometimes stop us from taking action, but if you're really living, you have to take action with fear. If you feel fear, you probably are growing and expanding and becoming someone you haven't been before, thus you're going beyond your comfort zone. So of course you will feel somewhat afraid. Moving through resistance, we develop soul force. We develop our soul muscles. And when you're following your authentic calling, your soul's directive, that's when we bring ourselves into the flow. And yet there may be soul breaking, expanding challenges. For instance, you'll start to see evidence that you're on the right path. And at the same time, start to feel very afraid because you're moving beyond your comfort zone and things won't work out. So you have to navigate through that process. That's why it sometimes can be very helpful to have a coach or a therapist while you're doing it, or at least a close friend, a supportive team that can be there for you and kind of shoot ideas back and forth with you so that you can get to the truth of what's really happening. Sometimes it's really, really hard to see your own blind spots. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.